Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. We're so glad to see all of you here. Uh, today is what day? It's a Sunday, and it is the 1st of November, which then means that it is Missions Month. Uh, I just want to encourage us, as you have heard in the announcements, we're, we are honored, uh, really privileged to have Susanna Ma come and speak to us and share some of the different needs that we have in our, our city. And she's really well connected with all the different sectors of society. Um, and I, I really believe that this is going to open doors for us to be able to make an impact here in Hong Kong and hopefully beyond. So uh, you don't want to miss it. You want to make sure that you come, come early, and to be able to listen to some of the things that she will be sharing. We really want this month to be a month where we can respond to God. There are a lot of things that are coming up into the future, and a lot of times at, at the current moment, you can't see it. That's part of faith. That's part of learning how to have a vision and a purpose in your life. But this month, as you will have many different opportunities, not just here on Sunday, but we're talking about life group, uh, you will be doing a various uh, different activities, different things going on throughout the whole month, that this will be a wonderful time to actually, in your purpose, what, what God has created you to do, to be able to respond to Him, and in your response, that you are going to say yes or I will to Christ, and sometime in the future, God will bring it to pass. And I believe that he will do that, whether it's a future missions project that he might be challenging some of us to participate in, maybe just getting more involved in our church or in our city, in your university, whatever it may be. But I'm praying that there will be a great response to the word of God. So just keep that particular date open because uh, it's going to be our guest speaker as she shares uh, different things going on in Hong Kong, I think it's going to be very exciting. So please keep that in mind. Turn to somebody next to you and say, please don't forget. All right, please don't forget. You don't want to forget it. Like, it's always that person who's like, well, what, what happened? What happened? You know, they're always missing everything. So sometimes we need reminders for one another. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 through 22. So just have that open. And also, as we have been mentioning before, you can turn to our church app, all the notes and everything is there so you can follow along uh, with us. And as I mentioned earlier, the month of November is our missions month. And as many of you know, that's part of our name. And there's a reason why we actually put mission in our church name, because your name is your destiny. And we wanted to really reach out to the harvest and to be part of God's mission as we build community and become the church of God, and this is what He has called us. That's why we are HMCC, Harvest Mission Community Church. And so every November around this time, we dedicate a whole month just to focus on mission. Now, that doesn't mean that in the other months or the other weeks that we have that we don't talk about missions at all. No, it's part of who we are. But we want to participate in a very particular way to focus in on missions. Why? Because there's something powerful when everyone is focused on the same thing. So if you think about it, we could focus on missions just throughout the whole year. But coming together as a church and to have every single life group, every single life stage, and everything that we do is targeted 
towards mission, I believe we're going to see greater things. Not only will there be unity, but there will be a greater response in terms of what we believe that God is wanting us to do. So we're going to divide this up. One good thing about this year's Missions Month is that there are five weeks. So we're going to divide it up into five parts. And as you can see, just, can we just go back? Yeah, let's, let's just look at, no, can we go back to the picture? Uh, by the way, let's, let's give a hand to our graphic designers and I don't know what you want of that team that's creative. Like, when I see things that are good, I'm like, I, I got to recognize that. There are some things that are bad. Uh, not from our team, of course, just from the all the other stuff here. But when things are good, I'm like, wow, that's because you're getting the concept. Uh, anyway, I don't want to talk about creative stuff. But anyway, but you don't want to talk about. And this is going to be our theme for Missions Month. It's upside down. And the reason why we wanted to focus on it is that if there's anything that you will experience in your lifetime, if you could genuinely experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will flip your life upside down. And that's where it all starts. Is your life being transformed, turned upside down, and then you will then be equipped and God will empower you then to transform your world. It could be at workplace, it could be at your school, your family, wherever it may be, and turn that place upside down for the glory of God. So we're going to break it up into five parts. The first part I want to talk about today, the upside down life. What does that mean? Uh, living this life of transformation and convictions that God will place in our hearts. And part two, I'm going to talk about this. Uh, we're going to talk about the upside down perspective, learning how to look at things in a different way, not the way the world sees it, but the way the Bible tells us how we ought to see things. And we need some of, many of us, myself included, we all need to grow in learning how to have a perspective that is more biblical rather than what the world tells us. The third part we're going to talk about is upside down communities, why that's so important and the world is hungering for it, thirsting for it, longing for it, and we're praying that we will be the community of God that will be completely different from what the world says or offers to us. And the fourth part will be the upside down city, and this is where Susanna Ma will come and share us a little bit more of the needs in the city, so you don't want to miss that. And the last part is upside down world. We want to flip the world upside down. So those are the five parts as we talk about this idea of upside down, turning it, I believe, the right side up. It should be that way rather than what we see around us. I think it's amazing how Jesus and his followers literally transformed the world at that known time, at, back in the biblical times, in the early century. Um, of course, they didn't know about many of these other places around the world, but to what they understood, they literally transform the world and as we talked about just coming off the sermon on the mount jesus was offering this kingdom lifestyle that's completely different from what the world was preaching and especially those religious institutions and the religious people that's why when he came he completely changed and reoriented what it really means to be a citizen of the kingdom of god he flipped those values around that's why if you look at the teachings of Jesus, you will notice that he says, if you want to be first, then you got to be last. That's turning something upside down because the world says, no, you got, you got to be first. You, you don't want to be last. So he turned the world upside down and the values at that time. He also talked about if you want to live, 
then you got to die. You got to die to yourself, your selfishness, your self-centeredness, because you're not going to be able to really live the full and abundant life if you're living it for yourself. So he flipped that thing upside down. He also talked about if you want to be great, then you got to be the servant of all. That was not the culture back then. But Jesus not only talked about it, but he demonstrated, he lived it, and to help people to see what that meant as he even washed the disciples' feet. And then he says, if you want to be rich, then you got to give things away. The measure in which you give, things will be given unto you. So this idea of it doesn't make sense. It's something that's completely different from the world. Just think about right now, some of the things in this world's values, what do they preach to you? Think about it for a moment. They'll say you need a good GPA, and I, I would beg to differ, not, not to make some of you who don't study like, oh, my God, there's hope. Uh, on one hand, there is, but I would definitely say you got to do your best. But sometimes GPA is not the best indicator of success and how well you'll do. I've seen people with straight A's and 4.0s, and I don't want to, I got to say this carefully, they're not the brightest. They're good at memorization, but they're not the brightest. They don't know how to think outside of the box. They don't know how to do critical thinking. Some of them need to get trained up with some skills to think a little bit outside of those things. So I'm not, I'm not hating on some of you who have 4.0 right now. Praise the Lord. But I pray that you will grow in some of these areas. It sometimes doesn't matter about what universities you go to. And I'm realizing that more and more. Now, it will help you to get your foot in the door. It will help you with your alumni association, the networks. So the better school you go to, a lot of them end up with certain jobs, and then they're connected so that you get connected. So I would definitely say there's some initial advantage, but I'll tell you this. Hard work will get you further than a degree from a certain university. How many, don't raise your hand because that person might be sitting right next to you. How many of you have seen or know people who went to like Harvard, Yale? You know, I'm trying to be careful of some of these schools that some of us might have gone to or know. And Cambridge, Oxford, and you're sitting there working with them like, oh, my God, how in the world do they get into that university? How do they graduate? Don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking I, I can feel that. Some of you are like, amen. It's not indigestion. You're, you're feeling that under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's just like, oh, my goodness. How in the world? I have met people who come from universities I have no clue. I've never heard of but they're stellar in their character. They're stellar in their worth ethics. If I was a CEO, I would hire you that person. So once again, what I'm trying to say is this. We value the things of what the world tells us we ought to value. And the Bible is clearly telling us there is a complete different set of values that the, Jesus Christ came into this world to flip it around. And that's why it's my hope and my sincere prayer that our lives will be so radically transformed with this gospel message that we will be turned upside down, inside out, so that whatever context God places us in, that we will be able to make a difference for his namesake. I want to ask us a question as we kind of think through this, and I'm wondering how many of you know of actors or famous pop stars who are Christians? Do you guys, do you guys know? Of any? So, some of you guys are too? Okay. Okay, see, this is... I said, how many of you know? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I know them. No, you don't. 
you, you know of them, but you don't know them. Some of you are pretty humble, like, I do know, I, I just talked to him yesterday, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Respect, okay. I don't know why I'm, I'm not talking about this in my notes. You know what that means. But anyway, this is a little bit perfect. This is the same reason why some of you can say, I know Jesus. But you don't really know. <sighs> Those of you who might not know, let me show you some people who are famous and who are believers. Let's, let's see some pictures here. JB, come on, dog. All right. <laughs> JB. You know, when he first came in and said he was so immature, I'm like, oh, my Lord. And he went through all the different, it's teenage stuff. But I think once he got married, I mean, he's settling in and he got a mentor, you know, a pastor who's helping him. So I really feel like now he's using his gifts and music to talk about Jesus. And that's awesome to see. Here's another person who's a believer. Okay. Many of you know him. You guys didn't know? That's a problem, right? He's always singing love songs. Okay, anyway, but it's maybe to Jesus, maybe to Jesus. But uh, he's a believer, okay? Uh, the next one, Chris Pratt. Some of you know he was on the news of the church he was a part of. Uh, those of you who don't know him, he's an actor. He was in the Guardian of Get the Galaxy, right? One of the Marvel series. Oh, yeah, pretty funny guy. Not, not that I know him. I know of him that I heard. Uh, Steve Harvey. If you ever want to read a biography or just any read up on a person's life coming from nothing to something, I'm, he's very encouraging. You might want to uh, watch. And that man is spitting out fire and truth. He drops these bombs in between his shows and it's powerful. And he's very biblical based. He has a passion for men. He believes that all of the world's problem really comes down to men. Ladies, can I get an amen? You guys are trying to be careful. Amen. <laughs> Sitting next to your spouse. Amen, you know. So, um, but he is one that's a strong believer, and he actually shares his faith whenever he has an opportunity. And then, uh, I, you guys know, we, we decided to put JB way over here and Selena way over here, okay? Just kind of booking that thing, all right? So Selena Gomez, as many of you know. And lastly, Kanye West. Now, um, if you don't know, now you'll know. But in the last, I would say, probably year and a half, almost two years, Kanye West has really been on the forefront of really sharing his faith. And it's really powerful. In fact, it's caught wind through just many different news outlets. And there's a Christian news outlet that actually kind of followed him along because it's a great platform that he has to actively share about Jesus Christ. Even his album, right? It's, it's just blatantly Jesus. And, you know, a lot of people say it's not going to sell, but it did really well. And so it's really interesting. So I wanted to show you this video of just a little snippet of just different people that kind of commented on what was going on. It was kind of more of a news report. And then at the end, you will see uh, James uh, Corden. How many of you guys know uh, the comedian? 
Uh, he has a talk show. He does it. Th he does this thing called the carpool karaoke, right? He brings all these stars and they sing and talk about random stuff, and it's really cool. I've I've watched the majority of it. That YouTube auto autoplay. Oh, you got you know. But anyway, um, you know you you see uh, the carpool, but because they have a whole choir, almost a hundred of them, uh, they rented out a whole airplane to do this air pool karaoke. So you'll see that a little bit at the end because there was something that James Corden was asking Kanye about his faith that I thought was very interesting. So let's watch this together. What, what do we learn from this? We need some more people from Africa in our church. <laughs> When I saw this, I was uh, very encouraged. I, I know a lot of times there are famous people who say they're Christian, but they don't live like it. I thought that one uh, pastor, what he mentioned was very appropriate because he's, he's a recent convert. And maybe he had a church background. Mother was a very strong believer, but he's a recent convert. And so he said, give it some time. Give him some grace. He's going to have to stumble across and use his platform. Now, many of us are thinking, well, I don't have that kind of platform. So I can't really make a difference. I can't really speak about Jesus at the way he does. And this is where I like to beg to differ. I, I, yes, in terms of magnitude, it might be different. But I would say that every single one of us right now, all of you have a platform. Turn to that person next to you and say, you have a platform. And then turn to the other person and say, you have a platform. Every single one of us, we have a platform to make a difference. It might be with our families. It might be with our friends. It might be with our colleagues, our classmates, our roommates, uh, just even our neighbors and our even strangers that we have a platform every single day to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And so therefore, the bigger question I believe we need to ask ourselves is simply this. Have you experienced the gospel? in such a powerful way that it has transformed you and now you are radically living for Jesus Christ? That is the bigger question. Let me say it again. Have you experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a powerful way that it has transformed you and is still transforming you so that you will now live for Jesus Christ in a radical way? Because that's what it means when you experience this life that is upside down. All your goals, all your pursuits, all your dreams, not to say that any of them are wrong or bad, but I would say some of us, those dreams and those goals need to be flipped around. Some of us, we just now need to put a little bit more of a deep, deeper, or deeper motivation and a reason why we're doing some of these things. If the gospel has captured your heart, you understand how sinful you are and that we have been separated from God and what we do deserve is death and the wrath of God upon us. But yet, because of his infinite mercy and his grace, he sent his one and only son to come into this world to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. That he lived it righteously, in purity, perfectly, so that when he died on the cross, he became the sacrificial, perfect, sacrificial lamb who took our place. 
So now when we trust in him by faith, put our faith in him, his righteousness is our righteousness. That's why God can look at us and call us his sons and daughters. We are his children. That's why he can look at us and say, you're holy positionally. We don't feel like it. We might have sinned last night or something might have happened. We don't feel like it. But positionally before God, he sees you in his righteousness. Like if that doesn't move you as you think about your sins, you think about the cross, you think about who Jesus Christ is, then this gospel message is just still up in your mind and hasn't gone deeply into your heart. But we have to remember that this work of transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we got to pray. We're going to ask him to do that work in our lives. It's not about trying harder or doing more things. Listen to what R.C. Sproul said in his book, The Mystery of the Holy Spirit. He writes this. He, being the Holy Spirit, is intangible and invisible. But his work is more powerful than the most ferocious wind. The Spirit brings order out of chaos and beauty out of ugliness. He can transform a sin-blistered man into a paragon of virtue. The Spirit changes people. The author of life is also the transformer of life. This is the reason why when we talk about this upside-down life, we got to look to Jesus Christ and we got to look to the Holy Spirit to change us. So as we start off this Missions Month, the series called Upside Down, I want to talk about really trusting God to do that work in our lives. So here's the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that when we experience transformation, we will radically live with conviction. That when we genuinely and powerfully experience this transformation through the gospel, we will radically live with conviction. I want to talk about two specific things as we look into Acts chapter 4. This might be a familiar passage to some of you. Some of you, this might be new. Some of us, we might have read it before, but we missed it. But I want you to kind of see it with this lens of an upside-down life that has been transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. So two things that we must remember once we have experienced transformation and for us to really radically live with conviction. The first thing is this. Stand firm with the truth. Stand firm with the truth. Come on, everyone say this together with me. Stand firm with the truth. We see in the previous section of chapter 3, Peter and John, they end up healing this blind and this lame beggar. And then Peter ends up preaching the gospel and sharing the way of salvation. Now, this is where we come to chapter 4. So this has just happened. They just healed this lame beggar. And now in chapter 4 in book of Acts, we come to this passage that I want us to look at together. So let me talk about two specific things of reasons why it's important to stand firm with the truth. So once again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read the first four verses. And as I look at the first four verses here, uh, let me touch upon this idea here quickly of how we are disrupting human paradigm. That's why we have to stand firm with the truth because we're disrupting human paradigms. Let me go ahead and read verse 1 through 4 in the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, you can just listen or read on with somebody next to you. This is what happens here. Let's look at this together. It says this. 
And as they were speaking to the people, this is being John and uh, Paul, uh, Peter, it says here, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came out, came to 5,000. Let me just pause here and just make some comments regarding these four verses. It's kind of interesting to note here that Peter and John, they were still speaking. They were, they were still preaching, if you will. They were proclaiming about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as they were still speaking, we see here that the captain of the temple and some of the Sadducees, these religious leaders, came to them. Now, in verse 2, if you look at it again, we see that the religious leaders were, what? It says, greatly annoyed. Everyone say, greatly annoyed. Some of you know what that feels like, right? There are many situations where greatly annoyed. And they arrested them, and it says, put them in custody. Now, other translations, they use the word for greatly annoyed. They use words like angry, furious, and very disturbed. And the question is this. Why were they feeling this? If you look at this carefully, you'll realize it's because they were talking about Jesus' resurrection. Now, for many of us, it's okay, they're talking about the resurrection. But once again, what is the point that I'm trying to make? If you're going to stand firm with the truth, you have to understand that you are going to disrupt human paradigms. Because the Sadducees, everyone say Sadducees. The Sadducees were different from the Pharisees because the Sadducees did not believe in any resurrection. They pretty much believed that you live this life here on this earth and that's it. So because of that, listen to me carefully, this was their worldview. This was their paradigm ever since they were young, that there is no resurrection of any kind. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they believed that there was some form of resurrection but the Sadducees, they said there is no resurrection at all. Now, that makes sense. If that's what you've been brought up with, that's what you believe, that's what you have been living your life for, and then someone starts preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will get greatly annoyed, even furious. And I was thinking about this, and I go, well, is there anything that's similar? Well, I think so. Start talking about politics. In about two days, the United States will be voting. I have seen people unfriend other people because of a different view. Small-hearted people. I'm even wondering if we started talking about politics in Hong Kong, we, we would have some problems right now. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think we should. I think we need to address issues like justice, righteousness, a lot of those things. They're biblical things. We need to talk about it. But if you've ever been in a situation where you're sitting across the table from someone who has a different political view, how many of you are gentle, kind, patient, liars? You know what I'm talking about. You, 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 the worst is you thought they were yellow. Then all of a sudden, you're like, 
then what happens? First, your heart gets ripped out, but then you start getting angry. Same way. You logically thought through this and you said being blue is good. And every single time you see these people who represent yellow, it gets you what? It gets you fired up. It gets you angry. It's technically fully now China. What is your problem? And it goes back and forth. Same with religion. This is the reason why people get greatly annoyed by you and by me. Because if they are fixed in a certain paradigm that they believe this is how you run your life, you don't need God, you don't need Jesus Christ, I've been hurt by hypocrites, then they will be greatly annoyed. So I want you to understand that when we start standing firm in the truth, you are going to start disrupting human paradigms. And that's exactly what happened to the people here. And they're like, who are you guys to say that there's a resurrection? There is no resurrection. He, Jesus Christ did not resurrect from the dead. We have to understand that part of turning the world upside down is that we have to challenge the world's worldview of things. But it's interesting, in spite of all this, in verse 4, as we just read, it says, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And many commentators will say that this is just men, so 5,000. So it could even be as much as 10,000, 20-some thousand people, if you include the women, maybe the children. So standing firm with the truth, requires us to understand that we are disrupting human paradigms. Another thing I want you to notice here is this about standing firm, that we are declaring God's power. So when you understand you're disrupting human paradigm, and then you have to understand that when we do talk and we do declare and proclaim, we are declaring God's power. Let's go ahead and read verse 5 through 12. Through, uh, verse 5 through 12. It says this, On the next day there are rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with uh, Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? When Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucify, both God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. Wow, phenomenal. Let me let, let me just read the, the verse 12. And there is salvation, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. After spending the whole night in prison, you, you gotta kind of follow along this story. 
So they were arrested, taken into custody, and we see here the next day, which meant they stayed in prison. The next day, we see here these priests from these priestly families come and they ask them, by what power or by what name did you do this? You need to know that in essence, what these religious leaders were trying to do was they were trying to intimidate the apostles by communicating indirectly, who do you think you are? Do you know why? Because the ones who have authority to do anything that's representative of God, it's these people. They're from the high priestly family. Those of many of us grew up in the Asian culture, so you know that it would be something similar to this. You're sitting down with a bunch of people, and then your food comes out first, but all of the rest of the people around you are older than you. And you're like, I'm so hungry. Let us eat. And you start eating. Do you know what's going to happen with some of those older people looking at you? The same feeling here. Who do you think you are? Unless that older person is humble enough to say, yeah, because I don't like to eat my noodles cold to, or hot or cold, or I like to eat it hot, so why don't you eat it? Even then, in Asia, it's passive aggressive because they're trying to hint at you, oh, no, no, it's okay, I'll wait. But when you're eating with me, when I tell you something, I, I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. So when I say go eat, go eat. Anyway, not in my notes. Okay, so let's continue on. Because the high priests were the ones who had all the earthly authority. So here are Peter and, and John. And what authority did you have? That's why they're like, who do you think you are? And check this out. This was literally an open door to share the gospel. It's almost like. Like, by what authority? They're like, so can you tell me about the gospel? Oh, they didn't say it, but, you know, it's like, wow, this is a great opportunity to talk about it. Peter decided to seize it. But I want you to notice verse 8. And it says, then Peter, what? Come on, say it with me. Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. Listen to what the message translation says of that verse. It says this. With that, Peter, full of the Spirit, what? He's like, what authority? Come on now. Well, you know, Jesus, are you crucified? <laughs> I mean, he let loose. He's like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to proclaim. I'm going to talk about this. What we have to remember is that he did not do it in his own strength, but it says the Holy Spirit filled him. If you're going to declare God's power, then you have to be anointed with his power. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. So many of you go to work. So many of you go to your classrooms and you're trying to build relationship and you don't have power because you're doing it on your own strength. That's why you get discouraged. That's why there's no, like, they're not responding very well. When was the last time you actually prayed for some of those people that you're building relationships with? And I'm not just talking about, oh, yeah, I pray. It's, you know how it go. Oh, yeah, can you guys pray for me? I'm like, yeah, I just pray for you. Oh, I'm praying for you. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's one of those flyby, Lord, be with him. I, I pray for you. But it's really when you think about this, I want you to think about this for a moment, that here is Peter, who was a coward not too long ago. 
But then when they were praying in the upper room, they got this anointing by the Holy Spirit, so they declared boldly. Here they are healing people, and then the high priestly family comes and says, what authority are you doing this? Who do you think you are? And here is Peter, and it says he is now filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he lets loose. This is the reason why if you're serious about evangelism, you're serious about missions, you're serious about reaching the lost, you got to pray. You got to be praying for people. You got to be praying for your 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 colleagues. You got to think about it. Well, I don't know how what kind of workspace you have, but if you're like in a cubicle, when was the last time you prayed? Man, I I remember um some years back we were just sharing about the importance of prayer. And this was back in the United States. And I, I remember just uh challenging people uh like to even get to work early and just to pray before anyone else gets there and I, I maybe i said it kind of half jokingly so i gotta be careful what i said but i just said why don't you just like sit in those chairs and just pray for them you know lay your hands on the chairs you know and i found out later someone came up to me and they were just sharing how uh you know after the whole uh, missions month everything was passed they were sharing some praises about how some of their kids, because this person was a teacher. So they actually came early and they literally sat in every chair and just prayed for whoever sits in this chair today, Lord. Like speak to them. And they were sharing a praise because they said within that time period, there was a complete change even in the classroom. Like they know that it was not them because their teaching style was still the same. But like something supernaturally happened. When was the last time, instead of complaining all the time about your boss, complaining about your colleague who's sitting next to you that you just despise, that you're trying to get to another seat, you actually sat in their chair before they even came and you prayed for them? Think about your roommate that you want to kill. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. Which, by the way, if you don't know, now I'm going to let you know. Your roommate problems is what you're going to have problems with with your future spouse. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> you don't believe me, do you? <laughs> See, when I was single, I'd have to make my bet. When I was single, I could make a mess on the mirror that's right in front of you, over the sink. Because you know, you're like, it's like spraying all over. I can still see my body. I can still see my teeth. I don't need to wipe that thing down. It's the toilet seat up or down. I, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I don't have to think of any of that. Life is good. But then you get a permanent roommate. Those of you who don't know what that means, uh, you get married, okay? Things change. And that's why some of you struggle with some of the roommate situations. I, that's what you're going to be struggling with, with whoever you marry. So maybe God is trying to prepare you. <laughs> I'll never marry someone like him. Well, a girl version of him or whatever. But the thing is this, listen to me. I really believe that God uses all these things to work on your character. So the question is this, 
instead of complaining, instead of pointing fingers, instead of always like, oh my God, getting angry, judging them, when was the last time you actually prayed? I'm even challenging you now, this coming week, to set your alarm a little bit earlier, to get to work a little bit earlier, to get to your class, whatever it is, a little bit earlier, so that when you begin to pray, you're asking God to fill you so that conversations, it will take off and you're like, what just happened? And you realize it's God. The Spirit of the Lord. And then Peter proceeds to share the gospel in verse 9 through 12. And I'm not going to go into it, but you know, gives the elements of the gospel. And he's specifically talking to the Jewish people who crucified him. Let's think about our lives. Are you firmly standing on God's truth? I'm wondering if on a regular basis you're declaring God's power, who he is, what he has done. I'm wondering in what ways you're disrupting human paradigm. Maybe your parents' paradigm. But of course, it's got to be done in love. But that's where the conflict comes. That's where the struggle will be because you are engaging in disrupting human paradigm. The second and last point is this. Not only stand firm with the truth, but stand firm with your testimony. Stand firm with your testimony. When we think about standing firm with our testimony, there are a couple things we have to remember. First of all is boast about Jesus. Everyone say boast about Jesus. Look what it says in verse 13 and 14, and you'll see it here. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing in opposition. Nothing to say in opposition. Look at verse 13 again. It says this. The word is uneducated. That word means illiterate or unschooled. It, more specifically, it means not being trained in this Greek rhetoric of learning how to publicly speak. So those of us who have a hard time publicly speaking, you're in good company, amen? Which, by the way, it will help. So don't be like, oh, I don't need to know how to speak well. It will help. But when you have the anointing, there's power. Listen to some of these other translations. The Living Bible says this, they were obviously uneducated non-professionals. Why? Because they were fishermen. But they spoke with so much boldness and courage. Their life was flipped upside down. How can ordinary fishermen who are not really educated speak in front of these high priestly families and even emperors and different governors later on you'll see? Because they were anointed by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the voice translation says. It says this, realize the people, they realized they were typical peasants, uneducated, utterly ordinary fellows with what? Come on, say this. With extraordinary confidence. Ordinary people with extraordinary blank. Confidence. Ability. That doesn't come from them. This is the reason why if you're going to do a presentation, this is the reason why if you're going to do anything that requires the work of God, not you, you need to pray. But the apostles, huh. man, even as I was writing this, I'm like, mm, 
go, Peter. Just let loose on them. But the apostles were educated by the best teacher in the world, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the best training school, living with Jesus 24-7. That's why the Passion Translation says this, when they began to understand them being these leaders, religious leaders, say this with me, the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending what? Time with him. Some of you spend so much time to try to perfect a skill. You try to spend so much time doing all these things. And if you really believe it's a supernatural work, like how much time are you spending with Jesus? Pretty much, even though they didn't know everything, they just knew, wow, these people who were like peasants, like uh, fishermen, they knew that they were spending, they spent time with Jesus. When was, that's one of the greatest compliments you might be able to receive. If someone says, wow, I could tell you really spend time with Jesus. Because they see something different about you, your attitude, your actions, and the things that you do. You have spent time with Jesus. It's just like Moses in the Bible when he went into the, the tent. He was in the presence of God. And what does it say? It says that his face was shining. Like when was the last time you would enter into a meeting, enter into a gathering, even coming to a birthday party even, and people are like, dang, you spent time with Jesus. Not because you're like, da-da, you know, then you're kind of, kind of weird, right? But the way you love, the way you're patient, the way you're listening, the way you're able to serve. That's why I keep on saying it again. I think these are the moments when you can really tell what's on a person's heart. Don't just assume all the leaders are really spending time with God. They might be pushing themselves, doing all stuff in their human strength. That's why when we hear, start hearing complaints that they're not spending time with God. And I can say that because I know that even in my, uh, my own life, when things get really busy, sometimes certain things get crowded out. And then the next meeting I have to go to, I'm not as patient. I'm not as loving. I'm like, dude, we talked about this like three times now. And they're like, sorry, pastor. Then that's the Holy Spirit smacking me. Dude, it's okay. We're all growing. It took me 38 years of walking with Jesus, and I'm still working on it. They're like, thank you. You must have spent time with Jesus, Pastor. <laughs> no, but just right now, I am. Right now, right now. Jesus, come. I love that that they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Can you imagine what would happen if we spent more time with Jesus? In spite of all this, these religious leaders were what? They were astounded. Other translations, amazed, uh, or excuse me, it's astonished. So they were amazed, astounded, marveled. Listen to the message translation. They couldn't take their eyes off them. Not in a weird way, but they couldn't take their eyes off them. Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. Do you know what this is? Let me, let me play it out for you. 
it's kind of like, hmm. It's like, I, I can't put a finger on it. Because you're not educated. You haven't been trained the way I have. But for whatever reason, I have never seen this kind of confidence from a fisherman. I've never seen this kind of anointing from someone who can love this way and love some of the unlovable. That's why these guys were in a bit of a dilemma because they could not deny this miracle because the dude is just standing there because they were lame. And now they're like, hello. So they couldn't say, oh, this couldn't discredit. It's like, then you look really stupid. But if they say, praise God, then they're pretty much acknowledging they're the ones who crucified Jesus. So they're in a dilemma. So what is the point? The point is this. In everything that we do, may we boast about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Boasting about Jesus. It's not my education. It's not my speaking ability. It's not my eloquence or my uh, just ability to love people. It's not my ability where I'm so kind. It's not any of this stuff. It's not my ability because I can, uh, I make people very comfortable. Some of you have so many great, great traits. That people love you. But it's not because of you. Stop putting the attention on yourself, but it's God. So not only boasting about Jesus, but be bold for Jesus. Let me close with this. Look at verse 15, all the way through verse 22. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident in, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. It's interesting. They could even say Jesus in this name. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot, everyone say cannot. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they have further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the men for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So these religious leaders decided to talk it amongst themselves and they realized we're in a dilemma. So let's just threaten them, warn them, and let them go. And then in verse 19 and 20, Peter says that they cannot help but to speak about what they have seen and heard. Can I just give you other translations? So I'm not going to, you just let the Holy Spirit speak to you about when we talk about being bold for Jesus. The contemporary English version says this, we cannot keep quiet about what we have seen and heard. The Passion Translation says, it's impossible for us to stop speaking about all the things we have seen and heard. And look up here, the voice translation, it says this, but one thing we can tell you, we cannot possibly, what's that word? Restrain. We cannot possibly restrain ourselves from speaking about what we have seen and heard with our eyes and ears. What a powerful reminder. Can I just challenge us, even this past month, 
even over the summer, those of you who have been with us. If some of you have been with us the whole five years of our church, just think about some of the things that you have seen and the things that you've heard. And sometimes we're such forgetful people of all the miracles, all the salvations, of all the healings, and just the work of God. And what we forget is that when we think about that, it gives us encouragement to say, God is still working. And that should make us bold to be able to speak out. Not only bold, but to boast about him because it wasn't really us, but it was all God. So stand firm in your, with your testimony. So the one thing, once again, as I shared earlier, is this. When we experience transformation, we will radically live with conviction. That he flipped my life upside down. Because of that, I will stand firm and I will stand boldly with my testimony as well as with the truth. I want to give us some next steps and we're going to try to have you follow through on some of these things in life group this coming week. The first thing is this. In order for us to really live our lives, not only being transformed by the gospel, but also to live radically with this conviction, is you have to first see God's work in people's lives. So be more observant this week. And please understand this. Whenever I meet somebody and I hear their story, oftentimes I try to figure out what is it that God is doing already? What has he done already? Because a lot of times I'm just taking the baton from someone else who spent time with this person. I don't know if I'm the one who's going to cross the finish line with this baton or there's going to be someone else in that person's life that I'm going to have to pass the baton to them. So see God's work in that person's life. Maybe as they're talking with you, they're sharing how they've lost everything. They're questioning everything. There's no sense of purpose. Then you realize, oh, maybe God is trying to get them to a place where they will humble themselves. So you got to be able to see as you're talking with them, meeting up with people, what is it, the work of God that's happening in their life? The second thing is this, seek opportunities to bless. Part of really living with some of the convictions and as our lives are being transformed, if you want to reach out, then you have to be able to seek for opportunities to bless. Find different ways. Man, I mean, there's, there are so many different ways. I don't have time to list a lot of these things, but there, it comes in so many different forms of just maybe sending a text to say, you know, hey, remember what we talked about in our huddle group this past week? I just wanted to follow up on that. Man, that, that makes huge dividends. How much does it take? Not too long. It's free, and it doesn't take much. Just simple things like that. Or maybe when you do meet, then you could buy them coffee. And like I said, we want to try to build a generous culture in our church. And a lot of times we're always holding on like, oh, I don't have enough. But then when you hold on to it, you're not going to have open hands to receive whatever else God has given. There are times when I buy someone lunch or buy someone coffee and I realize, oh, like, okay, I don't know. But then next me I go to, they end up doing something. I'm like, oh, God provides. And we miss those kind of opportunities. So seek opportunities to bless. Number three, share your life's testimony. So important. Now, some of you have the two-hour version one. I don't know if I could share this. I didn't ask the brothers, but um, I won't give any details 
the brothers and I of our, our life group, uh, we had this kind of sleepover thing where we're sharing life's demons. And some of us were doing the math. And we realized if everyone shares like 30 minutes or 45, even an hour, then we realized that this might go to like 3, 4 in the morning. So we said that's not going to be good. So we kept it to 15 minutes. And then Pastor Seth started off. And supposedly it went 30 minutes because I do sometimes I could do mine like in a two hour period. I have lots to share. So they're like, so somebody was like, oh, I said, you're, you're over, you know, this is not Sunday celebration. But anyway, you're. <laughs> no one said that. No one said that. So how did I respond? Hey, man, I'm like double. I'm just like, I, I'm older than you guys. I have more stuff to share. <laughs> So you got to give me at least double time. But there's a longer version and there's a shorter version. Practice it. Share it with others. I'm telling you, this is one of the best ways to talk about the transformation work God is doing in your life. And then you could then live with stronger conviction radically for Jesus Christ as you share. Those of you who might not know what a life testimony is, it's a life story turned into a, like a testimony. That's our gift. We just like to make make up words. Shinemonies. People are like, what is that? Transforming sphere. Well, what is that? We just make up words. Habarabara. No, that's not a word. Anyway. Lastly, steer everything back to Jesus. Steer everything back to Jesus. If people give you praise, steer it back to Jesus. Thank them. But I say, you know, I realize it really is Christ. He's the one who gave me a great sense of purpose. He's the one who really healed my heart of these things from the past. Steer everything back to Jesus. So when they see Jesus and not you, then they're going to say, I want to get to know this Jesus more and more. Let's close with uh, this one testimony of a guy. His name is Jimmy. It's a, he had a very powerful encounter. He's from uh, an Indian background. And the reason why this caught my attention was because I was just thinking about in the next 10 years, India is going to eclipse China in population. This is just all estimates, projections. That means there's a huge population of people who do not know Jesus Christ. And our prayer is that wherever there's lost people, that we will pray and ask God to do something in that person's life or that nation and maybe one of these days God will send some of us some of you might be like I will never go to that place or this place or whatever you never know when I thought about some of these numbers right now currently there's 1.3 billion people in India 80% of that 1.3 billion are Hindus 80%. So we're talking about hundreds of millions of people who are going to pass away without knowing Jesus Christ. 14% are Muslims, mostly from the northern part. And the Christians, they only make up 2.3% of India's population, 23 
And I think about us and how blessed we are. And we say that our lives have been flipped upside down. But we cannot live with these convictions that God has given us. And I'm saying, Lord, convict us. Remind us of why we do what we do. So listen to his testimony. Listen to his heart of what God did and what he wants to do now as he thinks about all these people who do not know Jesus Christ yet. Let's close with this, shall we? Let's stand together as we close. Let me, let me just be very direct and frank with all of you. It's really difficult to see people like that in Hong Kong. And I don't know whether to lament, be discouraged, disappointed. I, I don't know what more to say. But if you were tracking with his testimony, he didn't really know God. God met him powerfully. Four hours of crying, probably weeping over his sin, realizing how messed up he was. Intermixed in there, probably some tears of joy, knowing that he's loved and forgiven, accepted. And then he looks out and he realized, I want this for everyone else. And that's why he said that that is his hope and prayer, that it will simply be, God, what do you want me to do? May my life be a ransom. I think the problem with our church and a lot of Christians in Hong Kong, we're just too comfortable. And we're pursuing after worldly and temporary things. And you, your passions, my passions, is not lined up with God. That's why what we need to be praying for is God help me to have a deeper understanding of this gospel. Because if you understand it, look through all the scriptures, look at through the whole Bible. Everyone who understood some element of the gospel, even from the Old Testament, even though Jesus didn't come yet, there's still foreshadows of the gospel. Anyone who experienced the presence of God, they lay down their life and say, God, whatever you want. Because we don't see that too often in Hong Kong and even in our church. The question that begs us is, are we genuinely experiencing the gospel that is flipping our lives upside down? Can we just bow our heads for a moment and I want to give you about a minute or so just to reflect. Let's think about the cross. Let's think about what that means for us. What Jesus Christ has done. And I pray that somewhere in that process that God will remind us 
that even though we are undeserving, that God lavished his grace and his mercy on us, and we are forever thankful. And for some of us who are still coming out to church, going out to life group, but you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you, if there's ever a time to take a step of faith to say, I am now declaring to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, it is my hope and prayer that you would do it sometime this month as we focus on God's heart, God's heart for you, God's heart for the nations, God's heart for the city. So Lord, just use this time now, just quietly in, in our spirit, speak to us. Remind us of the gospel. And we want to first just thank you for all that you have done, all that you have sacrificed, all that you have given. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information,